Food bloggers, hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. As a blogger, I will be honest, editing is not something that I typically think through. Lauren Sawant joins me in this episode. She is from Garnish Editorial, and she makes a case for why we should start thinking like an editor to take our content to the next level. She talks through some of the benefits of incorporating editing techniques into our brands and our blogs. She also gives us some tips for self-editing, so we don't necessarily need to hire an editor But if we do want to hire an editor, she talks through all of the logistics with that as well. You don't need to be a cookbook author in order to listen to this. If you're a blogger, if you write any content at all, anywhere, this episode will benefit you. So I hope you love it. It is episode number 422, sponsored by Rank IQ. Hello, my favorite people. Let's chat quick about some ways Eat Blog Talk can help you ditch the overwhelm, manage your time feel connected, and prioritize that seemingly never-ending stream of tasks, platforms, and algorithm changes we're faced with. The eBlog Talk Mastermind program is our signature offering and the best investment you will make in your blogging business. This is a transformative 12-month experience that will help you achieve your goals faster than you ever thought possible. Join the waitlist for 2024 groups. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash mastermind to get in on that. If the mastermind program is on your dream board, but you aren't quite ready to make that investment in your business yet, the next perfect step for you might be the Eat Blog Talk Mini Minds. This six-month program is designed to help you achieve your goals and overcome any obstacles that may be holding you back so you can experience the freedoms you're yearning for. Join the waitlist for groups starting in Q4 of 2023 at eatblogtalk.com forward slash miniminds. And if you are ready to learn, grow, and build relationships in person, join me and a handful of your fellow food bloggers at an upcoming Eat Blog Talk retreat. This is a great opportunity to convene in an intimate setting to learn, collaborate, and connect. These retreats involve mastermind-style peer-to-peer collaboration and are incredibly powerful and fun experiences. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash retreat. To get information about all eBlog Talk services, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash services, eatblogtalk.com forward slash services. Now back to the episode. Lauren Sawant is a freelance editor specializing in cookbooks, recipes, and food writing. She has worked in and adjacent to the food and beverage industry for over 15 years, including three years as a pastry cook. She has been a freelance editor since 2021. Hello, Lauren. Thank you for joining me on eBlog Talk. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to learn more about you and to just have this conversation today. But before we get into it, do you have a fun fact to share with us? Uh, sure. So my fun fact, I grew up on a hobby farm in Florida. Um, so we had horses, goats, donkeys, basically any animal that you can imagine. There were wild alligators in our pond. So like if you count that, like (laughs) we even had those. And we also lived down the road from an animal sanctuary and they had 
lions. So like kind of like at twilight, we'd hear like lions roaring and that like their emus, they would get loose and like just magically appear in our backyard. And then people <laughs> would come with like lassos and try to get the emus. Oh it was it was pretty crazy. That's like a dream. That's something that would happen in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely very different. Are you a huge animal lover today? Oh, definitely. Like we don't have any pets right now, but it's, it feels so weird. Like I, like I love all animals, big and small. Like my, my kids are begging us to get a dog and I'm, I'm this close to pulling the trigger and doing it. Oh, I love that. Wild emus and alligators. (laughs) That does not happen very often. No. Oh, well, that's fun. And I would love to learn a little something more about your business too. Kind of a change of pace there, but The topic today is thinking like an editor and how to take your content to the next level by doing that. So tell us what you do, what your business is, who your clients are. Yeah, and just kind of explain that to us. So I run Garnish Editorial. I offer editorial services to mostly food influencers, but also like basically anyone who wants to publish recipes. So I work with... Uh, meal delivery companies, media companies, and I just make sure that everyone's recipes are on point, they're understandable, that text flows. I do a few different types of editing, developmental editing, so making sure that a first draft actually makes sense, that it's going to read properly, copy editing, so that's where you get what people typically think of an editor as, where you're getting your grammar, your style, and then I also do proofreading. So that's the the final check of a document where you aren't really making changes, just catching those like last minute errors. And I also offer some other services like author coaching, training for for companies where their in-house team wants to make a cookbook but doesn't necessarily know how to go about it. And then I also do some localization. So kind of making making text that's not necessarily written by someone who lives in North America, more aligned with a North American audience. Okay, so you do this mostly for cookbooks, and do you do any of it for like blogging or anything outside of cookbooks? Yes, I do work with some bloggers. It's mostly I work on their cookbooks, but I've done some newsletters and kind of like some some crash courses on recipe writing as well. Okay. So you do editing for food influencers, correct? Yes. Okay. So what would you say, keeping that at the top of your mind and the top of your business, how does that benefit us as food bloggers? So there's three main facets of editing that I really think help food bloggers is first, you're going to display professionalism in your writing. If your writing is clear, concise, accurate, it really shows that you're serious about your platform and you're serious about your business. And it kind of helps your readers follow along. They they understand that they're they're coming to a professional. It's not it's not just someone who opened up their computer and started a blog. Like they can see that you care about your work. Also, good editing helps you to establish yourself as an expert. You already know that you're an authority, but new people and potential followers, they might not know this. And the more they're able to understand your writing and your recipes, they're going to 
be able to just easily, it's going to click in their head. Like this person is an expert. They know what they're talking about. But if they have to kind of read through your recipes, your blog posts like a few times just to kind of get what you're trying to say, it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to see you as an expert. And then consistency. Consistency, I I use this word like 5,000 times a day, but Mm -hmm. it's so, so important and the only way to get consistency is by paying close attention to, to what you're writing and what you're putting out into the world. So the way I like to think of it is that your writing and your recipes should kind of be like a mood board or like the thumbnails on your Instagram profile. Like no post should be exactly the same, but there should be defining features that remain consistent and tell a story. So like if you're looking at recipes, for example, you're going to want to use the same abbreviations across your blog. You're going to want to use the same ingredient names. For example, like you wouldn't want to say, say the word eggplant in one recipe and then aubergine in another recipe. And then also similar structure for for writing out your recipes because if you have readers that are going through different recipes and they want to kind of learn as they go. If you write things in a consistent style with consistent instructions, for example, with doneness tests, you have a, a consistent way to express it. So for example, roast for 30 to 35 minutes or until the bacon is crispy. Um, and then that way your readers know like, okay, this is the time, this is my doneness test. And you don't deviate from that. It just helps people kind of understand what you're doing and they know what to expect. So consistency within your blog, but also do you believe like consistency across platforms? So when you talk about the same recipe on say Instagram or in your email, talking the same way there too. Yeah, like definitely like don't don't hold consistency and like drown out your voice, but like kind of kind of keep the keep the same style and make sure like if you're posting a recipe in two different places, the recipe matches exactly. So the same abbreviations, the same ingredients, the same steps. Just because like a lot of people like I know like in my personal life, like if I like a blogger, I go to their website, I follow their Instagram and it does get a little bit confusing if I see the same thing kind of posted in different ways in different places. Okay. So do you have tips for like just kind of reframing our thoughts to start thinking like an editor? How do we start doing this? So the biggest thing to do is kind of sit down as you write and just focus on what you're writing. And after you finish writing, when you come back, just make a habit of keeping track of every change that you're making and how you need to apply these changes across your document, across your blog or a lot of the work I'm doing, like I said, is with cookbooks. How are you going to apply this across your cookbook? So I'll touch on this in a little bit, but as an editor, editors keep style sheets with every document that they work on. So I'm sure like a lot of your blogs probably have a style guide that shows like your colors and kind of like what you're trying to put across to your target audience. This is the same thing, except for your writing. It's essentially a blueprint for the text and your recipes and your and your blog. And it's super helpful. So when you're writing a recipe, you can look back at it and say, okay, this is how I expressed this, or this is this is the ingredient term I used. And you can kind of like 
the sheet will grow and grow and grow. And eventually you'll just have like this giant, beautiful document that helps you when you have questions or if you're super tired, like you can just look at it and kind of copy paste stuff into a document. And it's also great, like as you're expanding too, like if you bring on a VA or any freelancers, like you can just give them the sheet and say, these are the rules for writing my recipes. These are the rules for writing posts. And you'll never really have to worry about someone not matching the style of your blog. It's it's super useful. Okay. That's like a really easy way to think of it. Like I don't have to sit down today and think about, okay, what mistakes have I made? What have I, you know, like I don't have to think through it. Now I can just kind of build it as I go and create this. I love that you call it a giant, beautiful document as you're working. <laughs> so it's not like a big project in our minds. It's just like do it as you go sort of thing. Exactly. Like you don't have to necessarily sit down and be like, I'm going to make everything perfect right now. Like it's something it's something that comes and and you'll kind of get a you'll get a feel for it. And like another thing too like that you can do as you're working is try to get a good handle on grammar. Like you don't have to be an expert, but if you have anything like Grammarly or even like a a built-in like grammar checker in like Google Docs or anything like that, like when it gives you the little red underlining like don't just accept it and move on because it usually gives you like a little explanation. Just take like the two seconds, read the explanation and kind of like put it in your head, note it down. That way the next time you probably won't make that mistake and you'll have less to edit in the end. It's kind of like you're working fast, like you want to just accept it, but it'll, it'll help a lot. Then also a big thing that editors do a lot is we don't edit all in one go. We kind of like, take a break, we keep our eyes fresh and we come back after like a few hours or a couple of days because especially when you're working on your own work, if you just try to like publish everything all at once, there's going to be mistakes no matter how many times you read through it because you've read through it so many times. So that's actually, I think the the biggest thing for people who do want to work like an editor is just keep your eyes fresh Nothing has to happen immediately. The world the world will end, I promise. <laughs> just come back after a break, even if it's just to get a coffee. Like your writing will thank you and it'll it'll all be nice. It is amazing what just a little break can do for clarity with writing. Every time I take a break, I come back and I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> I would not have seen that before. It's really quite amazing. So yeah, just even like a 10-minute break, right? Just something to step away and kind of clear your head from whatever you're writing about. Exactly. If it's a nice day, go outside. It'll make your life so much easier. And one more thing too that editors do, we often work in passes. So for example, when I'm editing a cookbook, I don't go through the entire document page by page. I go through by type of item. So if I'm editing a cookbook, like I'll often start with the ingredient list. I'll do all of the ingredient list first. That way I'm doing the same type of work. My mind kind of gets a muscle memory going and I'm not jumping from thing to thing. And it works the same with blog posts too. Like go through your go through your head note, your text, if you have any stories associated with it, then move on to your ingredient list, your methods. Just it kind of helps. It helps your your mind to say, okay, these are the things that I'm looking for. And you're less likely to miss 
like tiny, tiny errors because you're jumping from Mm. one type of item to another. It's like batching. I say this all the time and it's so true. Like when you're in that groove or in that flow of doing one thing, you're so much more efficient and it's exactly what you're saying here. Definitely. Yeah. And also kind of along the same lines, checklists. Like checklists are amazing. And you can kind of like incorporate this into your style guide too and say, all right, these are the items that I need to check off for every post. Do I have my grammar? Are my ingredients correct? Do my numbers make sense? Just very simple things you can put on, but it it helps so much. Yeah. I know a lot of bloggers who do have just those blogger checklists that they run through. And I think that is such a good way to make sure that you get everything and that you're being consistent, like you mentioned. So this is no exception. And then in regards to actually writing the recipes, like the ingredients and all of that, do you have any common mistakes that you see with the way bloggers do that? Definitely. And I don't say like definitely in a bad way, <laughs> um, but it's just uh, there are definitely some mistakes that that do happen. And a lot of times they are okay within within a blog itself because it might be part of your style. But yeah, so some common errors I see are inconsistencies in how you express your measures and your ingredients. So for example, you list some can sizes in milliliters, but in another recipe or even in the recipe, the same recipe, you're listing another can size in ounces. So it's generally advised that you should select one type of measurement and stick with it or you can list two types of measurements, which is even better, especially if you do have like a worldwide readership. That way someone in England is going to be looking at the same measurement and understand it as someone in America. Also, a big one I see is the ingredient list and the method not matching the order of use rules. So generally, ingredients should be listed in their order of use, it helps the reader understand the recipe, know which items they're going to need when. And that order of use is, do you make it, you make the ingredient list by when you use the item. If they are used at the same time, then you list them by amount. Then if they're the same amount at the same time, dry before wet or sometimes light before dark if you want someone to be able to use the same spoon. And yeah, it just keeps your reader it keeps your reader on track. It helps you organize your recipe and it also helps you cross-reference as you're going through your method to make sure you've got every method item in the ingredient list. I've never heard the dry before wet and light before dark. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> At that one, I actually learned from this amazing book. It's called The Recipe Writer's Handbook. I think it's out of print now, but there's so many copies you can get. Like I got mine from Thrift Books and it's amazing. It, it's literally the ultimate handbook for writing recipes. It's perfect. Oh, awesome. Okay. Anything else, any other tips that you have for just kind of making sure that you are getting into that groove of self-editing your content? Let's see. So I'd say, honestly, just knowing how you write. And if we're talking about common errors too, knowing the errors that that you tend to make, because they're going to be different from everyone else's and everyone makes errors. Even as even as I'm editing, I'll come back with those fresh eyes and I'll see, oh no, I missed this. I missed that. But also like I know what things I'm I'm more likely to to miss. So when I'm coming back after a break, I know, okay, I'm gonna 
check this spelling. I'm going to check the ingredient list. I'm going to check like numbers, like number styles are, are a bit painful for me sometimes mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm not a math person and I, I see numbers and I'm like, oh my God, numbers, how can I even look <laughs> at numbers? But so I know that when I'm editing, I have to, I have to triple check number styles and make sure, even though it has nothing to do with math, but yeah, so that's a big thing. Just making sure you know what kind of errors you normally make and kind of like go back and check those and also take advantage of everything that you have at your disposal, be it something like Grammarly, which isn't necessarily amazing if you use it for like the AI powered rewriting, but it's grammar checker is great. Use like friends to look things over too, uh, because self-editing, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a lonely process. Even if you don't have a professional editor, you can definitely send things around to friends or, or basically anyone who has an interest in a recipe or a post. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just like family members who love your content or friends who are willing to help. I never think of that, but that's such a good recommendation. Exactly. Like community. Community is an amazing thing. Yes. Or even tapping into like maybe some of your most loyal readers too. I just thought of that too. I know like, I know food bloggers who tap into loyal readers for like recipe testing and things like that. So if they're willing to do that, if you have a really loyal audience, I think they would probably be willing to look through some of your content too. So great things to think through. Lauren, thank you for all of that. And then I have a question about, you mentioned style guides earlier. So I used to have a job where I worked in the corporate world and I created tons and tons of style guides and like style sheets. And yeah, like that was my world for a long time. So can you talk about style guides and style sheets? Like what's the difference? What should we be focusing on, et cetera? So in the editing world, a a style guide is something like the Chicago Manual of Style or APA or MLA, which you probably used in school for writing research papers. So it's basically a giant document that has all the rules for your writing, for references, for numbers, for sentence structure, everything you can think of. And typically when an editor is working on a document, we're going to either be told which style guide we're using, or if there isn't one set, we'll we'll pick one to use that makes sense for the document. Whereas a style sheet, it's made specifically for the document you're working on. So it's going to have categories that kind of correspond with, with what you're doing. So for example, I'm, I'm going to open up my, my style mm-hmm. sheet for a book I'm working on right now, but I have a category for numbers and measures and it shows how like how I display time ranges so we have for example five to eight minutes is displayed with an end dash instead of the word two fractions are stacked then I have like a space for punctuation so no periods after abbreviation we use a comma after short introductory phrases then we have sections for usage, ingredientless phrasings. So a good example here is the way we express alternative ingredients in this book is chocolate protein powder parentheses optional. So instead of saying like protein powder of your choice or something like that, then you have your method phrasings, 
phrasings for your special sections, how you display yields. Basically, it's just a list of rules for the document. And also, you can include word lists, things that you spell a bit differently from whichever dictionary you're using. And then also like proper nouns, like if you put in in Julia Child, you want to make sure you get her name spelled correctly. So you put that on on your sheet too. So do you recommend creating this style guide? So as you go through your work and you're like writing down all of your, you know, noting all the things that you do wrong or that you need to correct, whatever, do you recommend taking the style sheet information from that or creating it entirely separately? Or how do you do that? Uh, so generally you would create it separately and just write at the top, like this is the the style guide I'm using, but a lot of times you don't even need to, like, especially for blogs, like you don't necessarily need a style guide. If you're working on a cookbook, it's super helpful, but yeah, just to kind of go through your document and see all the different types of things that that you have. So you have you have numbers, you have punctuation, just anything that you would need a rule on, create a category for it. So you would create a category for your ingredient lists, your methods, if you have any special sections like a section for items that you can make ahead or storage tips, things like that, like you create a category for for those rules as well. So you could pretty easily create a style sheet by just looking at one of your recipes or one of your posts and just kind of breaking out each kind of section that you have in it. Do you want to know how to create compelling video content and have the skills and best practices for how to make the most of it? Then the Tastemaker Food Videography Workshop is for you, and it is here to show you how. Enjoy a weekend hanging out with like-minded food creators, trying out local restaurants, all while increasing your skill set. The future of the internet is video, especially short format, which is definitely having a moment right now. This workshop is for food creators looking to level up their video content creation. It takes place July 20th through 23rd, 2023 in Portland, Oregon. It is put on by Tastemaker Conference. Liz Merrick will be speaking. She is an award-winning cake decorator, author, founder, and CEO of Sugar Geek Show. She is well-known for teaching the science behind baking, cake decorating, and creating gravity-defying 3D cakes. With over 2.5 million followers on TikTok, Liz is the video queen. Join Liz and other like-minded peers at this amazing workshop. For more information and to grab your spot, go to eblogtalk.com forward slash resources. Scroll down to the Tastemaker logo and find the orange button labeled Food Videography Workshop. Secure your spot today to level up with your video content creation. So I think this would be helpful for blog posts, so right? Like for hiring a VA or someone who's going to help you with editing or writing, I think it would be good to break this out into a sheet for that purpose. Do you agree? Oh, definitely. It helps so much when you're bringing people into your team because you can sit down with them and show them show them one of your posts. But if you have specific rules that they can follow, especially as they're learning, like it's it's going to really help them to catch on faster. And it's less work for you in the end because as you're reviewing their work, you don't have to say, oh, how did I do this? How did I do that? Like you, you know that they're following this rule sheet and you have it in front of yourself too and kind of just 
tick things off. It it really speeds things up. Yeah, I can think of ways that I could probably implement this in my business. So <laughs> yeah, I appreciate. I mean, it's like a little bit of work up front, but it can go a long way. I imagine one of those so projects. Far. Yeah. Okay. Anything else about style sheets or style guides before we move on? I think we pretty much covered it. Just yeah, my biggest thing is honestly, like just have it open and don't don't stress over it. Like. It, it's something that's going to help you. So just have it open while you work and add to it as it makes sense to you. Like there's no there's no hard and fast rules around it, even though it's a, a sheet of rules. So it seems kind of silly to say, but <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's your sheet and kind of have fun with it and make it work for you. Awesome. Love it. So at what point do we launch into getting help with this? So talking like, obviously for a cookbook, you're going to want an editor most likely. But as far as like your blog content, is there a point when we might need help and get like editing help or what are your thoughts? Uh, So there's kind of two moments where I think people have that like that, that sense that like, okay, I need help with this. Like kind of when you're first starting out and you want like guidance on kind of how to organize things or like kind of the flow of your content or especially like I have I have a lot of people that reach out to me for for newsletters because it's it's kind of closely connected, but it's still a whole different environment. So yeah, like kind of that first moment is when you're starting out or starting like a new facet of your business where you're like, okay, I, I think I kind of need like a, a helping hand with this. And that's what in the the editing world we kind of call like a developmental edit where we kind of lay out the organization, the flow, and just make sure that everything's going to make sense as it's laid out. And then the other moment is kind of when you've done everything to the best of your ability, but you still have a sense or you're getting feedback that some things are confusing, that you need like just an extra set of eyes. So it's at this stage that an editor can come in, we can assess like grammar and stylistic issues, we can refine like the readability of your recipes and kind of help you with things like a style sheet, et cetera. So you don't have to like keep an editor on forever. <laughs> like we can set you mm-hmm. up to make sure that you're you're ready to to keep that high standard and like apply it across everything. I love that. I sometimes run across blogs where I'm like, oh my gosh, this content is so good. But like not everybody is skilled in this area, right? Like a lot of people are skilled in recipe development and photography and even like design, but sometimes not so much with putting words together. So some of us might need that. Just a little bit of help with like creating a style sheet or a style guide or just a template like you mentioned or something to kind of set us on the path of following certain guidelines. So that's what I hear you're saying. Definitely. And like, and I love things like that because like so many of the bloggers I work with, like everything is so beautiful and they're so talented. I'm like, oh my God, I just want to eat your food. (laughs) Like this is, this is amazing. And like, they just need that like little, little step to step on to like show the world. And yeah, like it's, those are actually some of my favorite jobs where I'm just like, your content is wonderful. I'm just going to do a little rephrasing, help you and then go, go have fun. Right. So it's not like you're doing a bad job. It's like, I'm going to help tweak a few things and then kind of 
set you out on your own to do an even better job. Exactly. No one is ever doing a bad job. Like everyone I meet is so talented. Like it's just, I, I come from a different profession. That's, that's it. (laughs) Food bloggers are amazingly talented. Like it's, it's crazy. Okay. So how do we, if we do determine that we want editor help support, where do we go look for one? How do we go about this? So the best places to look are either professional editing associations like Editors Canada, the Editorial Freelancers Association. So Editors Canada is obviously more Canada-focused, but the EFA, it's an American association. They have a lot of resources too, like for how to find an editor, how questions to ask an editor. They also have a page that shows the median editorial rates. That way, when you're talking to people, you kind of have a an idea of what people charge. So you never pay too little or too much. You can kind of find that happy, happy median. And then also Facebook groups. There's a couple of really good ones that I love. There's one called I Need a Book Editor. Even if you aren't making a book, like it's a it's a good group to look into because there's so many professional editors that are a part of this group. Then also EAE Ad Space. So it's an it's a job board specifically for professional editors on Facebook. It's very very well run, very professional. I Need a Book Editor is also well run. And yeah, both of those places, you'll find tons of seasoned editors that are like ready. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's perfect. And what qualities do we look for mainly in an editor? So if you're looking for an editor, the biggest thing to look for is professional training. A lot of times you'll, you'll see people who have like an English degree, which is super great, but that doesn't necessarily qualify them to to be an editor on a professional level. So when you're looking for an editor or talking to potential candidates, like ask them where they got their training, what courses they took, then also if they have any professional affiliations. Some of these can get a little expensive, so not all editors have them, but a lot of them do belong to at least one association. Then also references. References might not always be available, but even if they aren't, there's other ways to verify work, such as testimonials. And a lot of editors offer free sample edits as well. So 1,000 to 2,000 words. And like you'll get to see how the editor works, if they're good for your style. So definitely ask about a sample edit and you won't be sad. You'll get some free work done for you. And you can also kind of shop around and compare people's different editing styles to see what works for you. And what is the investment? I know there's probably a range like anything, but what is a typical investment? So it depends on what you need done. It varies by project and by editor. The EFA has a page that shows the going rates as of 2020. I'll link to it in, and you guys can like share it in show notes or something like that. But it's typically you'll see anywhere from like, like 30 to 40 an hour or 0.02 cents and upwards per word. But it varies by editor. And also don't let that scare you from reaching out to someone because I know it sounds like a lot of money per hour. But a lot of times if you reach out to editors and let them know your budget, they'll 
probably be able to work with you, not necessarily for like a, a full copy edit or a full service, but something that's going to help you and be within your budget. Like, for example, I offer coaching calls where I sit with you for an hour. We go through whatever you want to work through and we develop an action plan together. So it's that one's like fairly affordable. Like it's literally just an hour of my time and I, I'll usually kind of tweak it to someone's budget too. So like it's not it's not overly scary. If you do want to have a full book edited, that's when you're kind of getting into mm-hmm. into more money. But that's also a good sign too. Like if you have the budget, you want like you want a high quality editor because it's if you get if you get an editor that's charging lower, it's pretty likely that you're going to end up with more work in the end kind of trying to figure out what's happened to your document. Yes. I think this is all across the board too, not just with editors, but anything like VAs. I've noticed a trend lately where writers are in our space charging like really low, (laughs) really low amounts for like, you know, writing. And I feel like that is a sign that maybe it's not the best quality? I mean, I don't know. And you don't want to have to go back and redo things. So yeah, this is definitely something to keep in mind. Exactly. As And also too, like just from a professional standpoint too, like it's when you have people that are charging less, even if they're completely honest in doing so, it kind of, it devalues the profession a bit. And then you have everyone who's trying to keep up their association memberships. And a lot of us editors, we we do like continuing education like constantly too to like keep ourselves up to date. And when rates start going down, it becomes more difficult to kind of stay on the stay on the cutting edge of everything. Yeah. When I started noticing this trend in writing recently, I was like, oh gosh, that's like devaluing the writers who are actually, like you said, like educated and and really professional and like delivering super quality writing. It's like such a kick in the stomach for them. So exactly. Yeah. It's a weird, kind of a weird situation. Cause obviously, like people want the lowest value or like want to pay the lowest price, but they want, I guess I said that wrong. They want to pay the low price, but they want high value. So I don't know. That could be a whole other topic. Yeah, that that's an yeah. episode in itself. Yes, yes. To be continued on that. Do you have any red flags to look out for when you're looking for an editor? Yeah. So like we were touching on uh, anything that's priced too low. And then also a lot of people think that experience level is the red flag. Uh, My advice on that one is it isn't necessarily a red flag if someone's inexperienced, if they've just graduated from like an editing program or have like just finished taking courses. Like in that case, like even if it's their first professional project, like their head has been in in their coursework and working on all their assignments. So they're they're ready to edit, maybe even more so than someone who's edited a few things on their own, but maybe out of practice. Like they're they're ready to go. So experience level, you kind of have to take that on a case by case basis. Another red flag is if an editor offers you error-free work, like they guarantee that nothing is going to be wrong with it. Ooh. That's that's impossible. <laughs> that's like weird. Even, yeah, but I've seen it like especially on sites like Fiverr and Upwork and uh-huh. like if they're offering that then they definitely either have 
way too much confidence in their <laughs> abilities or they might be farming it out to someone else because that happens a lot too. So yeah, just be wary when someone says that your work is going to be completely free from errors. Then also another thing to watch out for is if someone doesn't necessarily understand the the role of an editor. So an editor is someone who's going to be offering suggestions and their expertise, not rewriting your work. So if you get an editor, like they do a sample edit, they send back like a document that's just completely different without change, without the changes having been tracked or, or anything like that. And just kind of says like, this is what you should do with it. Editing, it's more of a, it's more of a conversation. I give advice. I ask you questions. I I suggest my changes, but I don't say this is what you should do. I am completely right. If anyone acts like that, like it's probably a red flag. Mm-hmm. Those are really good and probably red flags we should look for everywhere. Like the per- promising <laughs> perfection is so weird. I would automatically be like, what? what's going on? <laughs> That's strange. Exactly. But I see it all the time and I'm like, how can you do that? <laughs> like my I could God. never not make like one tiny error. Like I'm going to miss a comma somewhere. Right. Yeah. And then what else do we need to know about working with an editor? Any other things to keep on our radar? So one thing is editing terminology. So just knowing like a a few basic differences between words that people kind of associate with editors but may not know the difference. So for example, proofreaders. Proofreaders aren't editors. Proofreaders are the people that are going through a project at the very end and kind of like checking like there's a comma missed here, this quotation mark isn't right, your formatting isn't right, things like that. So if you're looking for an editor, don't Google proofreader because Mm -hmm. you're going to get a completely different profession, even though to people outside of the profession, it kind of seems like the same thing. Then also, I kind of touched on that before, but editors aren't ghostwriters. A lot of us double as ghostwriters. I I do some ghostwriting, but it's more that like I said, we're offering our suggestions for work and sharing our expertise. Then other things you should know are that all editors work differently. Everyone's workflow is going to be a little bit different. And yeah, so we like for for example, when I work on a cookbook, I'll do passes for for each part of the document, I'll track my changes. If I'm working in Word, I'll contact you for with questions. Editors, we call them queries. So I'll query my author, say, hey, like I have questions on this and this. I'll send you an editorial letter at the end. But not everyone necessarily does those things. So the way one editor does it could be very different from another. Also, working with an editor, most of us will want to work in in Microsoft Word. Most of the training for us is done in Word. It has pretty robust editing features. It has macros that make our lives a lot faster. But also, too, more people are working in Google Docs as well. I know a lot of my clients really like to use Canva. Like, I don't mind working in Canva, and I've kind of, like, figured out ways to to make Canva work for me while I'm editing. It's just a little bit of a different process. But I think just be aware that a lot of editors may not be comfortable working in Canva. So it's something to just be on the lookout for and kind of be prepared that if you are posting an editing job, just kind of 
say like, hey, this is in Canva or be prepared to put it into like a Word or a Word document or a Google document. This is such great information, something that I think it's really is really important for us to think through. So I personally just really appreciate all of this information, Lauren. If you had a few just kind of main takeaways for food bloggers listening, what would those be? Okay, so takeaway number one, like whether you're creating content for your social media feeds or a cookbook, um, professional grammar and consistency and style, it's so incredibly important. And it's especially true for blogs because you have loyal followers. They love to incorporate your recipes into like their weekly meals. But if you don't have consistency, it's hard to it's hard to keep people coming back or at least not without confusing them and making them kind of wade through a a bit of information before they get what they need. And then like takeaway number two, like even if you decide like you may want an editor, but you don't have the budget, if you don't have like any budget at all, there's like all hope is not lost. There's so many wonderful like self-editing techniques you can learn. There's programs to help you. There's great communities online. I have a lot of resources that can go in the show notes, but there's there's so many places that can help you online for no money at all. Do you have favorite podcasts on the topic or just a few books that you could highlight here? Oh, definitely. Let's see. So Everything Cookbooks is an amazing podcast. Even if you aren't planning to make a cookbook, you kind of get an insight into kind of the behind the scenes of that and it can definitely help with your blog. Then also the editing podcast, it's aimed at editors, obviously, but it's super helpful for people just trying to improve their writing and kind of like understand understand how to make a document great. It's run by these two lovely ladies from the United Kingdom. Their accents are are gorgeous. <laughs> and I kind of just like sit there listening to them. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are so cool. Keep talking, but right? <laughs> they, exactly. And but they've been editors for decades. One of them is a fiction editor, one of them is a nonfiction editor. So you kind of get like a a good balance there. Like it it's helped me a lot as I've grown as I've grown my business. And yeah, and then for books, definitely the recipe writer's handbook. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners already have Will Write for Food by Diane Jacob. That one's that one's pretty amazing. She also has a newsletter that that has so much good information. Like it's it's amazing. She I think she has a free version and a paid version. If you have a small budget definitely go for the paid version. It's it's worth every penny. Awesome. Thank you. And yeah, like you said, Lauren, we'll put the rest of your recommendations in your show notes, but wanted to get a few of those out there. So thank you. Is there anything that we've missed that you feel like we should cover quick before we start saying goodbye? I think we've got everything. <laughs> that was a lot. It was a lot of great information. <laughs> Just why we should be thinking about this, tips for self-editing, considering style guides, style sheets, whether or not you should hire an editor, just lots of great stuff here. So thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to end with today? Honestly, my favorite quote is, sounds kind of silly, but from the Magic School Bus, my, my daughter's been oh, watching yes. a lot of it lately. <laughs> but take chances, make mistakes, get messy. Like, Ooh. listen to Miss Frizzle. Like, it can be so easy to get 
caught up in everything needing to be perfect, especially when like you're editing your content, when you're trying to like get started too. But at the end of the day, like it's your content, it's, it's your voice. Like you need to, you need to be proud of it and there's going to be mistakes. And there comes a point where you just have to, you just have to publish. Like, don't, don't be afraid of that moment. It's okay to get messy. It's so it's okay to go out into the world and fix things later. Oh, I love it. What a great way to end. Thank you for that. We will put together show notes for you, Lauren, with all of the great stuff we've talked about. If you want to look at those and get some of those resources that Lauren referred to, you can go to eblogtalk.com forward slash garnish editorial. Tell everyone where they can find you, Lauren. So you can find me on Instagram. I post like tips on writing great recipes at Garnish Editorial. I have a website, garnisheditorial.com. I do a lot on LinkedIn as well. Just type in my first and last name and I'll pop up. Uh, You can always email me as well. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Lauren at garnisheditorial.com. And I'm more than happy like to have like a free call or two with any of your listeners, just reach out to me and I'd be more than happy to, to get you started like editing your content or setting up a system. I'm happy to do that. That is so incredibly nice of you. Oh my goodness. That is, I would take her up on that. Whoever is listening. (laughs) Well, thank you, Lauren. Truly appreciated. And just so much, so grateful for your time today. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Please share this episode with a friend who would benefit from tuning in. I will see you next time.